Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins and with me as always is my good friend and business partner Matt Burke. Hello. And while we will be continuing our series on sovereign inheritance planning moving forward, much of our content will be focused on the news of the past week and how that news affects the future outlook for Bitcoin. That's right. And when we talk about um, the outlook, we're not really talking about Bitcoin as an investment or the price of Bitcoin per se. We're really talking about what developments are happening um, within the Bitcoin world and within society at large um, that is really driving the platform and the technology forward. So uh, with that, let's jump into it. Um, we got some headlines to put up on the screen here. Um, the first one is uh, nation state adoption. Two announcements coming out of uh, two different parts of the world this week. Um, the first one is the Central African Republic has announced that uh, they've adopted Bitcoin as an official currency. It is now legal tender in the Central African Republic. Um, and Panama uh, has, uh, has approved or in, is in the process of approving a bill that will allow Bitcoin and eight other cryptocurrencies to be used uh, without limitation is the wording that they used in the bill. But basically, that means that you can pay your taxes uh, with, with Bitcoin you can spend Bitcoin and not pay any capital gains tax. And, uh, and that goes for these eight other crypto assets as well that they've included in this bill. So, uh, Michael, what do you think about uh, these developments? Well, first of all, the Panama one has not been signed by the president of the country yet, and that could be vetoed. So okay. we don't know what's going to happen there. I However, I think all of it is a positive is positive for Bitcoin. So starting with the Central African Republic, this is a country I didn't even know existed before this this happened. <laughs> and uh, and I was born in Africa. So it's obviously a very tiny country. It doesn't uh, it's never it's, it's, I don't think most people have actually heard of it. Maybe people who are really into geography or, you know, maybe they've sent someone to the Olympics one time in their history. I'm not sure. <laughs> but what I am seeing from these smaller countries like El Salvador, Central African Republic, is that they're trying to change the trajectory for their country. So El Salvador wanted to attract they want to attract digital nomads. They want to attract business to their country. They want to spur economic development in their country. And I think, and I'm speaking for them, I don't know for sure, that uh, that they thought that Bitcoin could help them get there, that they could be the, we'll call it the Central American capital for this. And I think that other countries have seen this. And I would say that to me, the move by the Central African Republic is similar to El Salvador, except they're not trying to do it in, in Central America. They're doing it in Central Africa. So it's a country that doesn't really have its own currency, right? There's no right. central the, bank. They're tied to the, uh, the Central African franc, um, which right. is, uh, there are several countries in, in Africa that are tied to that currency and, uh, because of that, they haven't really had their own uh, currency or central bank. Yeah, and so I think that we could see that from, I would expect to see that from other countries that don't have their own central bank that are using someone else's currency. Uh, it's easy for them to jump in here and do this. It's not, they don't have the same kind of hoops and hurdles that a very large country with a lot of international trade would have to go through for this. So for me, I see all these small countries adopting it and, and sort of at a pretty fast rate at this point as very positive news. Yeah, I, I think overall it is very positive news. Um, I think maybe my enthusiasm is tempered just a little bit on this one. I mean, you've got a country that is not it's an it's an undeveloped country. Um, I think I saw that the the GDP per capita is less than $500 a year. So you're talking about, um, you know, the average person there makes less than $10 a week. Um, there is very little imports and exports. They just um, have a very basic antiquated economy. Um, the, the, from what I understand, their military presence is a lot of Russian mercenaries. 
Um, it's an underdeveloped country. It has a long way to go before it's really got a place on the world stage. And so, you know, I, while I think it is really interesting to see countries recognizing that they can use, you know, stateless, permissionless, uh, unconfiscatable money as their legal tender, I think that that, you know, shows some really bold thinking on their part. Um, I do wonder a little bit how meaningful it really is um, for a country of that size and with that place in the world. I mean, I think the other thing I saw was that they've been, um, they've had a civil war internally for almost 10 years. Um, mm. It's been ongoing. So um, it's not particularly stable. Um, so again, while I, I see it as positive news, I just want to be, uh, you know, somewhat cautious about getting too excited about countries making Bitcoin legal tender when it really uh, may or may not have a significant impact on, on the rest of the world and on Bitcoin for that matter. Yeah. And I have a, a slightly different view of it. And one of the things that I used to think was really fascinating was the, the history of the four minute mile. So people thought for years and years, maybe decades that it was just impossible for a human to ever run a mile in under four minutes. Just couldn't be done. And then uh, Roger Bannister did it. And I don't know the exact year. I probably should have looked that up before the show. But when he did it, within a few months, uh, dozens of other runners did it. So it went from something that was impossible to do. Like people literally thought that it was just a physically impossible for a human to do it. And then once people saw that one person was able to do it, all of a sudden other people said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And I have a, I have a similar view with Bitcoin with that, with these smaller countries in that someone sees that one country did it. And if they can do it, then why can't I do it? And I think that's almost, I think that kind of thinking in some ways is part of the game theory of Bitcoin. I don't know if you agree or disagree. That's kind of part of Bitcoin's game theory. I do agree with that. And I do think that, you know, and maybe, you know, if we were going to put a, uh, a theme on this week's news recap, it's, it might be baby steps. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I think little things that each of them are, are um, maybe not, hugely significant, but they're all meaningful movements forward um, in the world of Bitcoin. So I, I do agree with you that any small advancement is an advancement and that it does give other people impetus to take that risk when maybe they wouldn't have because, you know, it's it's that the type of thing where you see somebody else doing it and now you think, uh, maybe it's okay for you to do it. And uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, video that was going around Twitter last week with the one guy dancing at the, at the festival, mm -hmm. um, you know, well known and, video, uh, sure. yeah, well-known video. And so, you know, you got the one guy dancing and finally another guy comes over and, you know, before you know it, the entire festival is dancing with the one guy who had been dancing by himself. And so I think that there is certainly no reason to, uh, to discount what's happened in that regard, you know, I would say maybe the only place we disagree is, is how significant it is. So, and maybe, and, and, and frankly, I, you know, I do, I do have concerns about the types of governments that are going to be adopting Bitcoin. So that's another area of this where maybe I'm a little more skeptical is that when you have a country who's been in a civil war for 10 years, who doesn't really have any infrastructure to begin with. I think 11% of the country has internet access and like another, maybe 20% of the country has phone access. So they're pretty remote. Um, they're pretty isolated. Um, and it sounds like given the amount of civil unrest that they have there, uh, I don't know that if every, if every country that, you know, was that unstable were the ones to decide to adopt Bitcoin, then is that really what's best for, for Bitcoin? Well, that we would have to see just sort of how that plays out. But 
I've seen new things come along before, you know, in our lifetime, we've seen a number of new things come along. And the one that that's been the most impactful for me that I was the most involved with was uh, the iPhone. I remember watching the announcement from Steve Jobs. I was in line the day the iPhone came out. I, I had one on that first day. And I remember how many people said it will never work because it doesn't have buttons. <laughs> how am I supposed to type an email? I'm supposed to type something out with this, this on-screen keyboard. And even after the iPhone was introduced, a number of their competitors tried to merge the two. So I know BlackBerry did it. I know Palm did it, where they had a touchscreen device with like a slide-out keyboard. The point being that those companies were still trying to stay in the past. They, they initially thought that Apple coming out with a, uh, a, a device that had no buttons, that was touchscreen only, would never work for people typing out work emails or, or even just texting friends, whatever it is. And within 18 months, there probably weren't any devices that were sold with a physical keyboard. Actually, it's not true. BlackBerry kept it for a little while, but you know, they hung on for a while. They, they just disappeared. That was, they went from trying to emulate it in some way to saying, okay, well, for those people that, that really still want to type on plastic keys, here's our device. So I see it much the same way that you talked about that video where just there's this guy, he's just dancing a, you know, crazy dance in a field, you know, and, and all of a sudden one person joins in. And after that one person joins in, no one really joins in for a little while. And then a yeah. third person comes in and it starts to, to escalate. And there is a type of inertia. I think you get from this that all of a sudden people are doing it. It doesn't seem crazy when the next person does it. So going back to that video with that person dancing, the first person up there dancing by themselves looks like a lunatic. Mm -hmm. The second person, when they get up there, the second person doesn't look like a lunatic. To me, they kind of look like another person. It's not quite as crazy as the first person, but they both look a bit silly. But once you get to like four people up there, then they don't look crazy at all. And then at the end of that video where everyone's dancing, except some people are sitting down, it's the people that are sitting down that look crazy. Right. So, so change is hard. People don't handle change very well. They just don't. They think they do. They think they like change. Most people, you know, do not like change. And they, they view the, the change based, they, they view the change based on how they perceive things right now. They don't really have much of an imagination to see where it goes. So, while I think you and I agree that the Central African Republic is, I don't know how many countries are in the world, 190, 195, something like that. They're in the bottom 10, almost certainly, <laughs> right? Yeah. They're probably in the bottom five. So it's not a great country. But the part that I thought was interesting is that they want to step up. They want to be uh, a better country. And I think another thing we can't rule out is simply the ego of uh the rulers of these countries because uh you know in some circles naib bukele is sort of like a folk hero right he's an icon of sorts and el salvador has never been more in the news than it is now as far as you know things that aren't terrible gangs and right other than other than murder it's not right. typically been in the news right. a whole lot so I think it's definitely elevated the status of El Salvador. And there's always been a thought that game theory, other countries would join in. And we're starting to see it to the point now where we're judging how big of a deal that that city came on board. So I know the Bitcoin conference, we had a couple of cities that came on board. And I think people were generally a bit disappointed. I don't know if you agree or disagree on that. Yeah, I think there was some expectation that it was going to be some major announcement that you were going to get, you know, a big country announcing that they were doing something right. very significant. And and so, again, with this idea that it's been, you know, there's been some baby steps. Um, and I think the Panama thing is as well. Um, so, so, and so, so I, you know, when you take in 
if you take each of these events by themselves, maybe they're not that big of a deal. But when you take the Central African Republic and you take, you know, what looks like um, a bill in Panama that could change the landscape there, you've got El Salvador, you know, you've got the these uh, economic zones, uh, the one that's being set up off the coast of Honduras, you've got Madeira off the coast of Portugal. Um, all of these things are individually not that significant but collectively shows that you've got real uh strides being made in terms of how people are viewing this and the fact that they just that that we're creating um safe places for bitcoin i think is really what i see as the most significant aspect of it yeah i think that's uh that's really wise that it's you could i don't know how you feel about this but it's almost like these these small countries and these cities that are adopting it are greater than the sum of their parts as far as the impact for bitcoin i would agree with that yeah and now um, we have like uh heading to the panama news it, the panama news is interesting because not just bitcoin you know eight other cryptos uh, or eight other whatever you call it digital assets and one of them i thought was pretty strange but so i don't really I don't view the Panama announcement the same way that I view the Central African Republic announcement, even though Panama is certainly a bigger country. Uh, I think there's something interesting there where, the, where they're viewing it more, I'm going to call it the global crypto ecosystem, where they're, they don't well, just want to do Bitcoin, but nine different yeah, coins. Yeah, well, here's how I see it with Panama. Um and I probably know a little bit more about this now than I did because a friend of mine just got back from a trip to Panama. Um, but they, um, they really derive a huge portion of their GDP comes from uh, basically tolls for the canal. Um, so one thing I thought that was interesting about the Panama piece is that, you know, I wonder how much of that is them setting themselves up so that as more people are using Bitcoin or other crypto potentially in commerce, you know, they want to be able to accept it as a payment for a ship going through the canal. And those payments can be really significant. They can be, you know, easily a hundred thousand dollars or more kind of thing. There's, you know, millions of dollars going through that canal every day. Um, so I think, you know, maybe there's somewhat of a, uh, of a preemptive type of move on their part saying, okay, we want to be poised to where if somebody says, I want to pay my toll in Bitcoin, we can accept it and not have to worry about what that means in terms of, you know, tax implications or uh, the ability to actually accept that payment. Yeah. I think that what we're seeing here as I kind of step away from it and try and look at it from like 30,000 feet is that, This, what I'm going to call like magic internet money or whatever you want to call it, you know, people say crypto, is it, is it money? People didn't really view it. People kind of viewed it maybe more like a toy or a collectible or just some kind of goofy thing that people were just kind of messing around with. And now you're starting to see countries, particularly Panama, say, okay, well, we welcome it. We, we, we are happy to take payment in a number of these uh, cryptocurrencies. They understand full well that they can take that and convert it very easily to fiat money, any fiat money of their choice. So I think they see that this is something that it's a country that recognizes that these cryptocurrencies have value. And when I say cryptocurrencies, I don't mean Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin and those cryptocurrencies have value. And they're happy to take your money. Right. It doesn't matter to them. You know, I've been to foreign countries before where you can go to a store and you probably pay three or with four, three or four different currencies. Mm -hmm. They don't care. I mean, you know, they know there's an exchange. And, you know, if you're willing to if you're willing to buy their their goods that they have in there and the only thing you have on you is dollars and that's not the the currency of that country, they don't care. They're happy to take it, actually. Historically, they're very happy to take dollars, right? But I think we're going to see that as things move to be more and more digital. I think it would be reasonable to go into a store and maybe they take, 
trying to make up a number here, 15 to 20 different currencies. Some of them may be fiat. Some of them may be digital. Some stores may have more. Some you know may, may accept more. Some may accept less. But there's something changing in the world that we're all just going to have to accept, which is that the way the things that we thought were money, and I'm going to use always use seven years. The things we thought were money seven years ago, uh, the things that people are taking for money today are very different than people things that people thought were money seven years ago. I never would have imagined this. I don't know about you. Would you have imagined that like Panama would take not just Bitcoin, but like a range of other coins? Well, it's arguable whether those other coins are money or not, but that's a different discussion. Money, well, <laughs> I'd say value is a better way of putting it. You know, yeah. they have value to them. Look, I'm, I, uh, I would actually be happier if Panama was Bitcoin only. But I think that maybe there's something interesting here uh, with some of these other coins. Well, I think it's also, you know, if, if you go back to what we talked about on our uh, show about the Bitcoin conference in Miami and how, you know, Jack Maller's presentation was so impactful. I think, you know, a lot of what his presentation was about strike um, being able to process transactions using lightning as the payment rails. Um, I think it, to some degree, it doesn't matter what currency you're holding or what currency the merchant wants to accept at the end of the day, all you're doing is sending value from one place to the other. And, you know, if you're holding dollars and you're in Australia and the Australian merchant wants to accept Australian dollars, then you can pay them over the lightning network using us dollars that immediately convert to Bitcoin. And then from Bitcoin to Australian dollars, you know, instantaneously. So I, I think to your point, the more that these um, these rails get built out and the more functionality gets embedded into the network, um, the more it's really not going to matter which currency you you want to hold. It just matters what currency you want to spend and what currency whoever you're giving it to wants to accept. Mm -hmm. I also think that as these doors are opened, I think you're going to see well, there'll be a battle for what what money people want to use most, what coin people want to use most. And I believe that a lot of those battles will be won by Bitcoin eventually because it's it is the best money, without a doubt, out of you know, that whole out of fifteen thousand cryptocurrencies that are there, <laughs> there really is Bitcoin and everything else. A lot of people don't understand that exactly. They, they want to lump it in there. But if you really understand what Bitcoin does and, and what its potential is, um, it tends to eat everything. And, and I think that while Panama has opened the door here for Bitcoin and eight others, I think that's very good for Bitcoin. Um, I, don't see, I don't think it's necessarily great for the eight others long term because I think that Bitcoin will eventually win out. But, you know, even if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. They're, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be one winner. But in this particular case, that paradigm shift is not dependent on Bitcoin. It's really dependent on saying, okay, we're going to take a different type of money, not necessarily a different mm. currency, um, meaning digital money. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. um, the next headline was Fidelity is rolling out Bitcoin investing for 401k plans. So um, this was an interesting announcement. Fidelity announced that um, for 401k customers, they're going to allow those um, customers to uh, put Bitcoin into their 401k. Uh, they would let uh, any of the participants in, in that plan that's allowing Bitcoin to put, uh, I think, up to 20% of their 401k dollars into Bitcoin, um, which I thought was kind of interesting, too. I don't, I, I don't know uh, if there are other restricted assets in that sense, like where they say, okay, you can put this in your 401k, but you can only have X percent of it, you know, in this asset. Um, so I thought that in and of itself was a very interesting component to this announcement. But, um, but again, this to me is um, it is a, another step towards adoption where uh, 
you've got a major, major financial institution, Fidelity, you know, in terms of assets under management in 401k plans, I'm sure Fidelity is way up there. Um, and so I see this as a move by a big player in the overall financial management space that is recognizing the fact that Americans want to own Bitcoin in their retirement plans. Mm -hmm. So when I first saw this news, I thought it was huge. I was like, wow, this is really, this is really significant. Now that I've had a bit more time to digest it, I think some parts of it are very significant. And I think some parts similar to what we we're discussing before with like central African Republic, um, make this more, I'm going to say like a bit of a, a drip. When I say by drip, I mean that, you know, this, the, the road to Bitcoin adoption is going to be a lot of little drips, just a drop of water here, a drop of water here. And it's a lot of these little drops. There will be times some will come along maybe with, you know, big bucket of water, <laughs> maybe like, you know, Mexico, which is possible that Mexico uh, may adopt Bitcoin. That'd be like a big bucket of water. But all these little drips eventually will fill, you know, a 50 gallon barrel. And the thing about the fidelity that they don't really talk about much in this is that that Bitcoin will not be offered to everyone that has a fidelity plan. The employers get to choose which plans their employees will see. Right. And I think we saw that MicroStrategy already announced that they would offer it. The other thing I, I'm not sure of, I don't know if you know the answer to this, is um, really what form is that Bitcoin in? Um, is it, uh, is it exposure to Bitcoin? Is it actual Bitcoin? Could you at some point, uh, when you get to retirement age, actually move those coins to cold storage? I don't know the answers to any of that. And so I think there's a lot of questions there that would need to be answered. Um, but you know, if it was the equivalent of you can now own grayscale Bitcoin in your 401k plan, that's not nearly as exciting as, you know, you can DCA your, your 401k contributions into Bitcoin that's being held, you know, in this place in cold storage would be far different than, than just having exposure to it. Yeah. I, I, I don't think this is, this is not real Bitcoin. This is paper Bitcoin. You know, and for a lot of people, that's that's okay if they just want exposure to the asset. It's not real Bitcoin, but you know, Fidelity is one of the largest companies of its type. They're certainly one of the largest companies that deal with four hundred one ks and retirement accounts. I think they have what eleven billion, eleven trillion. I'm sorry, yeah. under management. I mean, they're they're an eight hundred pound gorilla. They're an absolute monster. So the fact that that door has been opened even if you're not expecting a, a, a flood coming through that door a large flood of people doing it i think it's significant it's not uh it's not the kind of news that's going to make me really yeah it's not it's not mind-blowing but but it is significant and you have to have all these little drips along the way you just have well to again have you've got steps. fidelity is the one guy dancing in the field right now mm -hmm. and you know at some point Vanguard or Schwab or whoever is going to have to recognize that and make a similar announcement. It's just somewhat inevitable. The, you know, if there's nothing else about financial management firms, they are wildly competitive with one another um, because it's to an extent, it's a, it's a commodity and a, and a fee game. Meaning that if you're an employer um, there's really not a whole lot, of a difference between one 401k plan provider and another. Um, they're all going to offer the same or very similar investments or identical investments that might have different names. Um, and so it's going to force a lot of other players in this space to keep up. Yeah. And also once the first person's done it, the, the next one is not that difficult. It's not that difficult to, to get management to agree to do it. If you can say, well, our biggest competitor is doing it. Right. They're doing it. Why, you know, why, why don't we offer it? I and mean, what's the downside to us offering it? And what, you know, the, there's a saying pioneers take all the arrows. So Fidelity's the pioneer here. 
whatever slings and arrows are going to come from this, they're going to deal with. That's and right. then the next person that steps in there, it's it's a lot easier to be number two than it is to be number one. Yeah. Well, my, we, my favorite my favorite uh, saying there is the uh, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Mm hmm. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, let's any, do you have anything else on the fidelity. Uh, no, let's keep going. Goldman so, Sachs makes its first Bitcoin backed loan. I thought this was really interesting. I thought this was particularly interesting for a number of reasons. One, it's Goldman Sachs. So, you know, there are a couple of names in the financial world that really carry a lot of weight. And I don't know if there's any name that carries as much weight as Goldman Sachs. They're certainly in that, you know, elite category. And what I thought was really interesting about this was that they they lent money using Bitcoin as the underlying asset, mm -hmm. which is really kind of crazy because if anyone's ever applied for a mortgage or any kind of loan, you're put through the ringer. I don't care how good your credit is. I don't care how much money you've got. Getting a loan on any kind of asset is difficult, particularly a mortgage. I mean, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people can relate to that. It's just, it's a lot of steps that you have to go through. So for Goldman Sachs, one of the biggest financial names in the world, extremely heavily regulated, to be a pioneer and to say that we're going we're gonna to offer a loan and the collateral for this loan is going to be Bitcoin. That's remarkable. That's not... That, that's something that when people talk about like, what, what is Bitcoin worth? Well, according to Goldman Sachs, it's worth enough to use as collateral for a loan. Well, so a couple of things there. First of all is don't kid yourself. There are certainly, uh, there's gonna, there's, there are potential margin calls on that loan um, based on the volatility of the price. So we don't know the terms of those loans. And, you know, the fact that Goldman Sachs did it, they didn't really disclose a whole lot of details about what they did, but there are plenty of other companies out there that are, you know, giving loans against Bitcoin. Um, our friends at Unchained are, are doing it every single day. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it wasn't viewed as a, uh, as a groundbreaking announcement when they did it. But like you said, for a legacy financial institution like Goldman Sachs to come out and say that they're doing it, shows what I think you and I already know, which is that despite the, you know, the price discovery that we're experiencing now in Bitcoin in general, and, and the fact that, you know, if you give a loan based on a certain amount of Bitcoin, it may not be worth the same tomorrow. It might be worth more or less. Um, I think that what Goldman Sachs clearly did recognize is that in terms of quality of collateral there's really not a whole lot better asset out there um, in terms of being able to attach to something and be able to uh to know that you know outside of the fact that you've got price movement that's just kind of part and parcel of where we are in the in the evolution of the technology um it's uh it's really solid collateral think the term i like to use pristine collateral yeah. and so they they see value in it um one of the things they said that i thought was interesting is that with this type of collateral they have the ability to track its price 24 hours a day 365 days a year mm -hmm. so i'm guessing they have something set up where um you know if at 3 a.m on a saturday morning the price dips below whatever your margin requirements are, there's going to be some kind of trigger and they're going to want to, uh, they're going to want you to, to, they're going to have very flexible margin calls, or I'm going to say very frequent margin calls because they can do this on the fly, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So that's something that they brought up. Mm -hmm. We'll see. That, like I said, there are other places to get a loan uh, to use your Bitcoin as collateral. But I also think that's something that Michael Saylor has talked about, that you don't sell your Bitcoin, you just borrow against it. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing one of the, the a prestigious legacy financial institution 
saying not that they will do it, but they've done their first one. Right. They, um, they didn't announce it because it's a one-off. No. And and they, and look, they also put a press release out there for this. They could have done this quietly. They didn't have to put a, they didn't have to get a, you know, their, their PR team on this, but they did it for a reason. Why do you think that? What was their reason behind it? Do you think? You never know with somebody like Goldman Sachs. I could I could see a number of different reasons they're doing it, but I think to me it seems like they did it to. It was a marketing effort on their part, meaning that if somebody reads that and they own a lot of Bitcoin and they don't want to spend their Bitcoin, then maybe their next call is to Goldman Sachs. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was just an ad for Goldman Sachs to get yeah. more Bitcoin loans to do more Bitcoin loans. Like, hey, we do this. And and maybe for some people, they say, well, if I'm doing it through, I'm going to use Unchained, even though I think Unchained is is extremely reputable. And we've looked at what they're doing. We think it's good. It's not a recommendation. It's just we have no reason to think anything would be an issue with Unchained. But maybe you you have a you know there are a lot of people who haven't heard of Unchained or some of the other places that let you borrow against your Bitcoin, but. Maybe you've got a guy, I'm just going to make something up. He's 65 years old. He knows Goldman Sachs well. And he's got some Bitcoin he wants to to borrow against. And this is, you know, this this prestigious uh, financial institution. He trusts it. And uh, we'll use that for it. So I think this is another drip as we're talking about that. I think it's important. It's a different part of the ecosystem. But I think that if you... The, the really amazing thing here is we talk about this pristine collateral or great collateral. There are people that think Bitcoin is worthless. Actually, our next story is, is about Bitcoin being worthless. So let's let's kind of mix that one in here a bit. Yeah, well, actually, that's our last story, but we can skip. Okay. <laughs> so, um, well, it's our next story and our last story. Now it's our next story. We'll go back to the other one after this. Um, because you had that great segue. So, oh, okay. You're right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's okay. So, um, um, so here's something where we have Warren Buffett saying that he will, he wouldn't buy all the Bitcoin in the world for $25. And it's just a hyperbolic kind of silly statement. Yeah. And, and put it in a little context. The, the, the clip is widely available out on the internet. Um, but the essential story was, Warren Buffett said, if you offered him 1% of all of the farmland in, in the country, he'd write a check for $25 billion for that on the spot. If you offered him 1% of the uh, rental housing market, he'd offer $25 billion for that instant, instantly. But if you offered him all the Bitcoin in the world for $25, he wouldn't take it because it's worthless and he would have to sell it back to you at some point. Yeah. So I think it's a, I think Warren Buffett, I learned a lot about investing from Warren Buffett. And I have a lot of respect for what Warren Buffett has done during his lifetime. Yeah. I will say I, I have respect for Warren Buffett's ability to see value in certain investments. Um, you know, his ongoing rhetoric about Bitcoin has, kind of made me has eaten away at that a little bit, I think over the past year or so um, along with Charlie Munger uh, at, you know, as his right hand, basically saying mm -hmm. even more negative things about Bitcoin. Um, to me, it's just, there are a number of things at play, but the the biggest part of it is that there's just a general lack of understanding of what it is. So his argument is that he want he would buy the farmland and he would buy the rental properties because the properties generate rent and the farmland generates food and Bitcoin is worthless because it's an asset that generates nothing. And while you, it may be, technically correct that bitcoin you know it's not a company it's not generating cash flow or creating value for shareholders because it's not a company it doesn't have shareholders and so he's viewing it through the lens of it's an investment like a stock 
And the way I see it is that it's nothing like a stock. It is, it's more like, to me, it's more like a platform than a company. It's more like the internet than it is like Google or Apple. So um, for him to, you know, view it that way. Meanwhile, the irony is not lost that, you know, you're talking about a guy who, um, who is one of the biggest shareholders of Coca-Cola and is, you know, on the stage here with his C's candies. Um, obviously he's made a lot of investments, but you know, he's also investing in things that, that aren't necessarily moving society forward in a positive way. Yeah. So I agree with all that. And I have some other thoughts on Warren Buffett and, and one of the reasons that I want to include this article in here, besides the fact that there's been a lot of chatter about it is that what one person thinks or what two people think or what a handful of people think, even if those people have been very successful in the past, it doesn't mean they're right. And doesn't mean they know what they're talking about on this particular subject. So something we've discussed on the show before, even early in this episode, is that you know, I was really fascinated with the iPhone. I thought this was really the iPhone was really going to change the world. It did. And I I was invested in Apple pre-iPhone. I saw the I saw the keynote from Steve Jobs and I said, if this thing does, if it is actually does what, what he is claiming this is going to do, this is just going to change the world. They're going to sell a ton of these things. And they did. It did change the world. Yeah. So the iPhone came out, I believe it was June 29 or June 30, 2007. I'm going from memory. I know I'm close. And Warren Buffett, did not invest in Apple for nine, almost nine years after the release of the iPhone. Warren Buffett did not get into Apple until the first quarter of 2016. Now he had access to things I didn't have. I'm pretty sure that he knew Steve Jobs. In fact, I do know he knew Steve Jobs because I was reading something about how he tried to convince Steve Jobs to a stock buyback and Steve Jobs said he wasn't interested. So it doesn't take, it shouldn't take the person who's considered one of the world's greatest investors nine years to figure out that Apple is a good investment. And you want to know the craziest part? What do you think Berkshire Hathaway's biggest holding is at this point? Um, I don't know. It's Apple. I was going to say probably Apple because they invested and then it's outperformed everything. Well, it's not just that, but they put a lot into it. So Berkshire Hathaway, um, Apple's actually 40% of Berkshire <laughs> Hathaway's portfolio. So when you talk about this guy, and I'm not knocking Warren Buffett, although I am knocking Warren Buffett. Well, you are. <laughs> but, um, but I'm saying that, that his history, he's 91 years old. His legacy uh, – is amazing. He's, he's, if there was a hall of fame for investing, he would be like, you know, first round pick, right? He's getting in there on the first vote, but that doesn't mean that he gets everything right. And there's another weird thing about Warren Buffett. Do you know who Warren Buffett's best friend is? A really uh, super close sure. friend. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. They're bridge partners together. Do you know what stock Warren Buffett doesn't own? In Berkshire Microsoft. Hathaway? Yeah. So I don't know if you know, but Microsoft's been a pretty good performer since the <laughs> 80s. Yeah. Right? His friend was a CEO. I mean, it's not difficult to see the dominance that Microsoft had. And if you look at some of the other FANG stocks, meaning uh, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Netflix, Google, or I'm sorry, I, I did A twice in there. So um, out of those, out of the FANG stocks, the only one that Warren Buffett owns is Apple. Now, those have been the best performing stocks by far for the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. These are these almost monopolistic big tech firms. They've all had incredible returns, yet um, his, his next biggest holdings, and I, I have a, a list in front of me, Bank of America, Chevron, American Express, Coca-Cola, and 
Heinz, Kraft Heinz. <laughs> so, you know, here's what I have to say. Warren Buffett doesn't understand technology. Warren Buffett is comfortable with consumer staples. Banking, food. He does own uh, Activision Blizzard. I don't know when he picked that up. Yeah. But, but you know, his thing has been to buy on value, buy companies with a, a low multiple and hold on to them forever, basically. And that's where he's done really well. So when you ask a 91-year-old Warren Buffett, who has historically not been a very big advocate of technology, what he thinks about Bitcoin, you're asking the wrong question to the wrong person. It's really irrelevant what, what Warren Buffett thinks about Bitcoin. I can guarantee you he hasn't put a thousand hours of study into it, and I can guarantee he hasn't put a hundred hours of study into it. And it's yeah, very difficult to understand it without that. Right. And, and if you haven't studied it and you don't understand it, then I could see how you can. I mean, that's one of the, the first things that new people to Bitcoin uh, have a hard time grasping is what makes it valuable? What gives it any value? You know, you're talking about a, a token on a network that's, um, you know, being propagated by uh the guessing of random numbers, like it's, you know, it's, it's not something intuitive in any way. And I'm sure if you're 91 years old and averse to technology in general, there's no way you're going to understand it. Um, and so rather than try to understand it or try to, you know, talk to people who could help him understand it, he would just rather uh, disparage it. Right. And I like to pick apart one other thing he said too, which is basically that Bitcoin doesn't do anything. Technically, yeah. it's wrong. I don't feel like correcting that part. But my question is, would he buy a Tom Brady rookie card for $25? <laughs> Doesn't do anything. It's a piece of cardboard with a picture on the front. Doesn't, I mean, at least Bitcoin, you could argue there's a giant network there with security and all these other things. It lets you move value across time and space. What does a Tom Brady rookie card do? What does a bar of gold do? Both those things don't do anything. It doesn't mean they don't have a lot of value. And I'll tell you that if Warren Buffett, and I know he's being hyperbolic, but you know, if someone offered Warren Buffett a Bitcoin for $25, a whole Bitcoin, hmm? guarantee he would buy it. And if he didn't, <laughs> he, he's foolish. Um, and the same goes for Tom Brady rookie card. You know, if someone offered him a Tom Brady rookie card, which really doesn't do anything for $25, he would buy it. He's talking to a group of people. I'm sure he made the room laugh. Um, people like that. People discuss that. Although there is one part that I would like to also bring up is that we have a mutual friend who I was about a year ago talking to about Bitcoin. He thought it was really interesting and he was going to look into it. And I talked to him probably a couple of weeks after that. And I said, you know, what do you think about Bitcoin? Not interested. Mm -hmm. He liked all the parts, but you know what he didn't like about it? Warren Buffett didn't like it. And he loves yeah. Warren Buffett. And so he yeah. let Warren Buffett uh, change his mind on that. And Warren Buffett's a very influential person, but, you know, Bitcoin's a bit unforgiving. And when you say silly things like this, um, it's going to go on your permanent record. And I just think he was, I don't think this was a very deep, thoughtful answer he gave to anything. And it's kind of a silly answer, but, but for, for people that want to keep turning to Warren Buffett to get his blessing for investing in Bitcoin, it's probably never going to happen. Ever. It's not. And, and, and that's one thing that, you know, if you listen to what he said, it's just so obvious that he doesn't that he doesn't understand it both from the standpoint of when he's comparing it to actual productive assets that generate um, that are able to generate cash flow. I mean, that's the def the accounting definition of an asset is something that, that provides a future benefit. You pay for it now and it gives you a future benefit down the road. That is not the same as a monetary asset. And and forgetting the network for a minute. But when you're talking about the actual Bitcoin lowercase b, um, the actual asset, um, you're talking about money. And 
a dollar doesn't do anything. It has value because the government says it has value and we're able to use it transactionally day in and day out. But if you, if you put a dollar in a drawer and come back a hundred years later, the dollar is going to be in the drawer. It's not going to make new dollars. And the same can be said for really any monetary asset. And if you don't really understand the nature of a monetary asset, you're just kind of talking about something different than what it is. And then on top of that, you really don't understand the network and the platform if you think that it doesn't do anything because um, it clearly does a lot. And there's clearly, given the fact that it's the largest computer network with the, you know, with an unbelievable amount of computing power behind it um, and that it's able to store a self-audited um, accounting ledger for every transaction that's ever occurred since its, you know, inception, uh, it, I have a really hard time saying that that's not doing anything. Well, the, the not doing anything is silly. And there's so many things that have value that aren't doing anything. You could buy farmland, just land somewhere has value. It doesn't do anything. You can do things on it, just like you can do things on Bitcoin. But, you know, it's... the. I just think this is a lot of silliness and people want... People want the blessing of who they of what they consider to be experts. Mm -hmm. And realistically, if you you know, I still think we're very early on in Bitcoin. People may think it's not that early on, but clearly the more the deeper you get, the more we realize it's very early on. And if you want the blessing from a Warren Buffett, I don't know who's another big investor, Peter Lynch. I'm just going to throw that out there. If you want blessings from these guys or, or Jim Cramer on TV, you may get it. You may not get it. But anytime you're looking to invest your money somewhere, you need to be using your own judgment, your own research. You're going to have to put some time and effort into it. You can't just ask Warren Buffett a question, hope he gives it a blessing or, or read something that Warren Buffett, all of a sudden Warren Buffett gives it a green light and now Bitcoin's okay. You know, it's no different than it was before he did it. And there's another thing, which is him and Charlie Munger have established their position. They do not like Bitcoin. They've called it rat poison. They've called it all kinds of things. Evil, whatever they, you know, all kinds of things, right? It's not for them. Okay, that's fine. It doesn't have to be for you. Um, there are almost 8 billion people on this planet. I think about 60% of the planet is unbanked, right? We, we view things in terms 70. of, is it 70 it's, it's an enormous number. It's a lot. It, it, billions of people. And, you know, there, it, it provides a lot of benefit to people in poor countries. This is probably one of the reasons we're seeing the poorer countries adopt it. So uh, another silly statement, and I think we can just leave it at that, is that it's a silly statement, but couple that with the fact that it is technology and Warren Buffett is not known for being very good at technology. Right. And it's that simple to me. All right. So let's go now to our last story, which is um, this one, which another baby step here, but uh, I think an interesting one. So Fort Worth, Texas, um, we've both spent a lot of time in Fort Worth is the first city in the U S to mine Bitcoin and will run mining rigs out of city hall. And there you can see in the picture, the uh, three S9s that are now running at Fort Worth City Hall's um, IT server room. So, um, again, you know, not anything earth shattering or, or groundbreaking in the world of Bitcoin. But at the same time, you've got a municipality saying that we believe in this enough to the point where we're going to uh, put these machines in place. And we're going to run them and we're going to put some Bitcoin on the balance sheet of our city. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of this story. I really don't know what to make of it. I, I thought it was a when I first read the headline, I thought it was 
really cool. And then as I got deeper, you realize it's it's only three machines. These machines were donated to them by somebody. They're old machines. They're old. Um, the thing I thought was maybe the most interesting that came out in their release was that they're saying that each of the machines will consume the same amount of energy as a household vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so that was something they made sure to put in there. And I thought that was pretty interesting because, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about Bitcoin and energy use. Yeah. And so I, I like them putting that out there that, okay, no one would have an issue with you running a vacuum cleaner. Everyone has a vacuum and that this is the, the, the type of energy these things will burn. You know, once the story's out of the headlines, no one's going to care in a couple of days. It's, it is another drip, in my opinion, of just moving forward. We're seeing all these things. I guess what I mean by that is we're seeing a lot of things go from Bitcoin just being being asked, like, what value does this have? Sort of that, that Warren Buffett story to seeing local governments, um, even nationalities, putting value into it. And all these things are just saying is that there's something real to Bitcoin, that this isn't just kind of some, some weird thing that's out there that you're just going to see all these kind of crazy adoptions in all these places. And it's usually, it's easier for smaller municipalities and smaller countries to adopt it and do these kind of things. And so Fort Worth, I guess, I don't know if Fort Worth is because they wanted to be in the news. I don't think so. I think someone <laughs> was just willing to give them three machines and yeah, they thought I, it'd be but, kind of interesting. Yeah. I, here's one, one kind of tangent I I'll go off on, on, on this one, which is something I've been thinking a lot about lately is that I do think a lot of adoption that we're going to see is going to happen um, in much smaller venues. Um, and so I really think that and Fort Worth is not a small city. It's in, I think it's like the 12th biggest city in the country or something like that. It's definitely in the top 20. Um, and so it's not a tiny city, um, but it's also, it's a smaller town in terms of, especially in terms of Texas. Um, but when you look at smaller localities that are putting these things into place, it really gives people the ability to have exposure to it at kind of a grassroots level. Um, it brings it closer to you in terms of day-to-day -day interoperability with it. Like, you, you know, the fact that it's legal tender in El Salvador doesn't really do anything for you unless you want to go to El Salvador and use Bitcoin. I mean, if you're from El Salvador, obviously it impacts you, but, but, there's a remoteness to it. Um, and then when you talk about anywhere else, Africa or Portugal or whatever, if you're, if you're in a, in the average American town, the, uh, the adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender somewhere far away doesn't really do anything for you in terms of getting it or, or, or wanting to adopt it. But as you see uh, smaller towns and cities and, you know, counties, whatever, start to view Bitcoin as something that they want to mine, that they want to hold on their balance sheet, that they want to accept for payment, um, especially if it's for public payments, for taxes. I think all of those things are meaningful in terms of adoption moving forward. Yeah, I agree completely. It's, it, you know, You're, it's just not going to be a country like Switzerland saying, okay, we've been a banking capital for 250 years and the entire country of Switzerland now is going to make Bitcoin legal tender. You're just not going to see it. Now we saw Lugano in Switzerland, one of their bigger cities has adopted. And I agree that it's got to start these smaller municipalities. These because then areas. what happens, what I think happens, and you know, Fort Worth might be an example of that. If they create some level of awareness within the city of Fort Worth and people um, are encouraged in some way, I don't know if they'll have any incentive to use it or what, but you know, if, if there is some incentive created or some um, ability to use Bitcoin on a you know, more regular basis, um, 
it makes you more passionate about it in the sense that you might then want to talk to your local politician about it. And when you talk to your local politician, maybe they get some, you know, sense that, that there's a desire for it to be a bigger part of the conversation. And that expands to your county government or your state government. And so I think, you know, it's these little grassroots efforts that over time are going to all add up to, um, to really being able to affect some of the policy changes that need to happen in order for it to, you know, actually evolve as a monetary asset and a currency. Yeah. And I think all these, all these little steps, I think go a long way to doing that. They may not seem like they're changing the world, but you know, when the, they're the first city government to mine Bitcoin. So that's news. The second city government that mines Bitcoin, because there will be another city in the U.S. that's going to mine Bitcoin. I'd even bet you it happens in this year before the end of the calendar year, 2022. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even be shocking. And that's yeah. the point. And then the third one may also come along this year, too, because you know everyone is looking for a way. You know, Mining Bitcoin is a profitable venture at this right. juncture. I mean, even if you're running three S9s in a server room, um, you know, I think it said in the article I read that they expect it to, to be profitable. Um, you know, it'll at least pay for its, for its energy use. Um, so when people see that opportunity, there's, there are going to be people that are going to, going to want to take it. So again, um, I think, you know, this week we saw a lot of small, but significant things happening in, in the Bitcoin space and, and taking one at a time, maybe they're not individually that big but all these things add up they do and we're seeing we're seeing a lot of things in a lot of different areas of adoption and most of it isn't really hitting main street in any way meaning it's not really you're not really going to touch it or feel it you're not going to see it if you go to a store but knowing what's happening it's not just in in the u.s it's around the world that these little steps little by little are being taken and you could only take so many little steps before you're at the other side of the room mm -hmm. may take a while, but there is no doubt that a Bitcoin is moving forward and it's starting to be adopted by more and more governments. So this week we had it. If we just take a look at the news this week, we had three governments accepting bitcoin right central african republic panama although the panama thing is not complete yet and fort worth and then we had two of the largest financial institutions in the country the world for that matter also do their own little part to adopt it mm -hmm. and something i like to use we talked about earlier is like that seven-year test if someone had told you in 2015 that Goldman Sachs was going to issue loans based on Bitcoin being collateral <laughs> or that Fidelity was going to let you buy Bitcoin in your 401k or that even Fort Worth, Fort Worth would put Bitcoin mining computers in their, uh, in their server room of City Hall to mine Bitcoin. Those would all be kind of mind-blowing in 2015. Crazy. Crazy. And actually, I wonder what year. Would they be crazy in your opinion if it was 2000, if it was five years ago, 2017, not 2015? I would argue it could have been crazy as recently as 2019. I would agree. So these things, we, we're, we're, you know, it depends on expectations and the view you, you see them from. But there are really significant steps happening in the world of Bitcoin. And a lot of it is infrastructure that's being built out before the masses really get to it. Just shows you just how early we on, how early on we are. But I think the news this week was really when viewed as a whole of a, a great week for Bitcoin. Agreed. All right. Anything else you want to add in before it's time to wrap this up? No, I think that was it for me.
Excellent. All right. Can you tell people where they can find us, please? Yes. Um, you can come to our website, btcbutlers.com, Twitter, uh, at btcbutlers. You can email us at info at btcbutlers.com. Um, if you are interested in putting an inheritance plan in place for your Bitcoin, or if you want to implement any of the Bitcoin best practices as far as buying, storing, um, and uh, running your own node, we can certainly help you with any of those things. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And we will continue to, uh, to talk about the weekly Bitcoin news and uh, reach out, subscribe, either on YouTube or wherever you hear your podcasts. And uh, hope to hear from you soon. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you. Talk, talk to you soon. To you soon.